morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Today is Wednesday, May the 4th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. In Somalia, the Al-Qaeda-linked terrorist group Al-Shabaab launched a dawn attack on a military base housing African Union forces. Al-Shabaab attackers, hundreds of them have been apparently mobilizing in that area for many days. And they have attacked this uh, forward operating base. That is VOA Somali service editor Harun Marouf. He joins us with more on this developing story. And Tuesday, May the 3rd was International Press Freedom Day. And March of this week, we look at the state of press freedom around the continent. In Nigeria, Africa's most populous nation, the government there says that it is committed to press freedom and protecting the rights of journalists. But many wonder, does it actually live to its promises? Because we are determined to do our job the way it's been done. As we've always done it, check our history. We've always stood for truth, even at the risk of our lives. And as Zambia joins the rest of the world in celebrating World Press Freedom Day, journalists say that they continue to work in a difficult environment where restrictive colonial laws are still in place. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Al-Shabaab fighters stormed an African Union military base in the village of El Baraf in Midoshabele region in the early hours of Tuesday, local officials and security forces say. Officials told the VOA Somali service that the militants briefly seized the base before withdrawing from it. The mayor of El Baraf, Abdullahi Haji Mohammed, said the militants started off their attack on the base with two suicide truck bombs. The militants then fought their way into the base, fighting until 8 a.m. local time when they seized it. Somali government media reports that Burundian forces manning the base had repulsed the attack. For more on this developing story, I reached Harun Marouf, VOA Somali editor and author of the book Inside Al-Shabaab. This attack took place in the early hours of Tuesday, around 4 a.m. local time uh, in Somalia. Uh, Al-Shabaab attackers, hundreds of them have been apparently mobilizing in that area for many days. And they have attacked this uh, forward operating base. Uh, it's a military base run by Burundian forces of African Union troops in Somalia. And uh, it's further deep uh, in a hostile territory. And Al-Shabaab has targeted this base uh, in order to push back on AU forces going further deep into an area they are interested in controlling. And uh, according to the reports we are getting, uh, there were a lot of casualties among uh, Burundian forces. Uh, there were also some civilian casualties uh, as a result of the attack. So at this point, the numbers of uh, soldiers uh, from the AU force have not been uh, released yet, the, the casualty number? Yeah, Al-Shabaab is claiming uh, that they have killed 173 soldiers, uh, but that is a claim and it's hard to verify their claim. Uh, the African Union forces have not disclosed the number of troops killed. That's not very unusual. Normally, Amazon do not uh, disclose 
the number of uh, casualties they suffer as a result of attacks by Al-Shabaab. And, and uh, they leave that to the countries uh, that sent the troops to decide whether they wanted to uh, disclose the number of troops killed or not. But the sources, the current source I spoke to, uh, believe that the troops who were based, stationed at that base were about a company. And a company differs, depends on the country that sent the troops. But the number, they, they believe the number is lower than the Al-Shabaab claim. Um, is this the first time that uh, Al-Shabaab has uh, targeted this uh, camp, this base? It's the first time they uh, targeted this particular base, but it is one of series of attacks uh, that had the same uh, hallmarks of Al-Shabaab that the group has been carrying out for several years now against African Union forces in Somalia and mm. against Somali government forces. Uh, so they usually start attacks with uh, suicide track bombs and then infantry storm in the base. And what message are the Al-Shabaab sending by this attack? And, uh, you know, and, and how was the Somali government responded? Al-Shabaab's message uh, normally is, their intention normally is to push back on AU forces and Somali government forces going further deep into the territory and displacing them from new areas and recovering new territory. And they wanted to force AU forces to go back and uh, they also wanted to show the world that they are there. They are still a strong force to reckon with in Somalia. And uh, they might have, they, Al-Shabaab is also opportunistic. They might have found an opportunity to inflict heavy losses on AU forces on, the, on, the, on this particular base. And uh, they, it appears they have taken the chance to mm. do that. Harun, uh, thank you so much for speaking to us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Harun Marouf, VOS Somali editor and author of the book Inside Al-Shabaab. The chairperson of the AU Commission, Musa Faki Mohammed, said he paid tribute to the Burundian peacekeepers who lost their lives but did not say how many died. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. On World Press Freedom Day, journalists and human rights champions are warning of threats to press freedom and democracy by the spread of disinformation, hate speech and propaganda through digital technology. From Geneva, Lisa Schlein reports for VOA. At a special event to mark World Press Freedom Day, UN Human Rights Chief Michel Bachelet paid tribute to the courage and determination of journalists who continue to work in the face of ever-increasing harassment, intimidation and risks to their lives. Bachelet notes last year 55 journalists were killed. This year, she says six journalists and one media worker have been murdered in Mexico and another 12 journalists have been killed in Ukraine since Russia invaded that country on February 24th. She warns the rising use of surveillance tools such as the Pegasus or Candero spyware intrudes deeply into people's devices and lives. The use of spyware has led to arrests, intimidation and even killings of journalists. It has endangered their sources. It has put their families at risk. To counter these risks, journalists are often forced to take the dangerous path 
of self-censorship. Last year's Nobel Peace Prize winner, Russian journalist Dmitry Muratov, says Russia faces a broken future because of President Vladimir Putin. He says the destruction of independent media under Putin's rule and propaganda against Ukraine have been crucial in triggering the Russian invasion. Muratov speaks through an interpreter. What sets this war apart is that it is the first war in the world which we watch in digital format. From now on and forever, forever, for the rest of the human history, when you type the words Mariupol or Bucha in a search engine, we will see a destroyed city and killed people. Co-laureate of last year's Nobel Peace Prize, Philippine journalist Maria Ressa, agrees the suppression of facts by Putin has made it possible for him to wage war in Ukraine. Without facts, you can't have truth. Without truth, you can't have trust. Without trust, we have no shared reality, no rule of law, no democracy. Journalists, human rights defenders, anyone under attack, anyone can be targeted. We are all defenseless in information warfare. Ressa says propaganda plays on the fears of people and presents lies as facts. And she says people who believe lies are facts are people who can be controlled. She warns it is when facts are destroyed that democracies are destroyed. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Nigeria's government said in a statement to mark World Press Freedom Day that it remains committed to freedom of the press and protecting the rights of journalists. But the Nigerian Guild of Editors say that the independent press is under attack. Timothy Obiezi reports from Abuja in Nigeria. Nigerian President Mohamed Buhari's statement advocating for press freedom was released by his media aide, Femi Adesino, ahead of the May 3rd World Press Freedom Day commemoration. In the statement, Buhari said, quote, we must stay united in supporting media professionals who work hard to de-escalate violent conflict and promote peaceful society without compromising the responsibility to report, end quote. The president urged government information managers to ensure journalists have easy access to government facts and figures. He also urged journalists to be conscious of their coverage ahead of Nigeria's elections next February. But the president's message is strongly disputed by the Nigerian Guild of Editors, who released the statement Monday, accusing authorities of stifling free reporting. Guild President Mustafa Issa says authorities are being two-faced. Just visit any ministry and say you apply for information. It would take days, even months, without even getting that information from them. And so you had to go to court. It's not a matter of um, the, the environment is free. No. Because we are determined to do our job the way it should be done. As we've always done it, check our history. We've always stood for truth, even at the risk of our lives. Press Freedom Group Reporters Without Borders say most of Africa's violent attacks and cases of arrest and detention of journalists were in Nigeria and that journalists are often watched, attacked, arbitrarily arrested, and even killed. The Guild says authorities greatly interfere with journalists' rights to access and to disseminate information. 
Omoyele Showere, an investigative reporter and publisher of the Sahara Reporters website, says his reporting has put him in detention many times. And prepared my mind for the consequences. So when they come around to arrest, detain me or uh, torture or assault me, I, I just know that uh, I'm really like very, very uh, sad to, to think that they will do all this and then turn around and issue a statement to say they believe in press freedom. Nigerian authorities say their decision to arrest or detain certain journalists are mostly in the greater interest of the Nigerian state. Last year, authorities banned Twitter after the company deleted comments from Buhari. Officials accused the company of being biased and allowing possible unrest in Nigeria. Even though authorities lifted the Twitter ban seven months later, the president refrained from using his account until Monday. Issa has this to say. What they see as national interest is actually the government interest. So when we said no, they would say that we are, we are not protecting. In March, a court of the West African bloc, ECOWAS, ordered Nigerian authorities to amend its cybercrime law. Rights groups say the law has been cited too often as a reason for arresting and punishing journalists. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. And as Zambia joins the rest of the world in celebrating World Press Freedom Day, journalists continue to work in a difficult environment where restrictive colonial laws are still in place. Successive governments have failed to enact laws to provide access to government information for more than 20 years, while cybersecurity laws infringe on media freedoms. Kathy Short reports from Lusaka. Activists say... Access to information held by state and private institutions promote a culture of transparency and accountability. In a democracy, these two aspects are key to realizing good governance. Bonfest Chembe is a human rights defender and executive director of the Southern African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes, or SACODE, a coalition that advocates for public access to state and private institutions. There is uh, no law that allows our citizens as well as our media practitioners to actually have a direct right to have access to uh, certain uh, information. We believe that the access to information has had a very negative uh, impact in as far as media freedoms are concerned, in that um, sometimes when media practitioners end up uh, using their uh, initiative to report on certain matters, you have other punitive laws that are enforced, such as the defamation of president law, um, among others which are colonial in nature. These tend to be used and ultimately tend to curtail media uh, freedoms. So it is very important that the access to information bill is enacted uh, into law. And in a move that was seen as another blow to the media is the enactment of the cybersecurity and cybercrime laws, which, according to the government, seek to promote the responsible use of social media platforms. It may also allow the government to listen to people's conversations without a court order. Zambian civil society organizations have taken the matter to court. McDonald Chipenzi is a journalist and governance expert. 
He's part of the coalition of local NGOs that includes Chapter One Foundation, GIA's Initiative, Bloggers of Zambia, and Alliance for Community Initiative that argues that the new law contains provisions that threaten the right to freedom of expression, among other constitutional guarantees. These are things that should have been the priority in the legal reform sector, so that quickly, quickly we move to in the right direction and support the process where citizens are free uh, to participate in the governance of this country and we promote uh, deliberative and participatory democracy in our country. You cannot participate when you are afraid of the legal regime or when the legal regime is very restrictive of your participation. So we expect that um, the issue uh, of the cybersecurity should not delay us anymore. Uh, because those NGOs that took uh, the case to court are very willing to sit together with government and be able to draft a revised law that we can all be happy about. Experts warn that the tendency by some African countries, such as Uganda and Zimbabwe, to enact oppressive media laws seem to be spreading like wildfire to other countries like Zambia and threatening media freedoms. There are real fears that governments in the region could soon be relying on cybersecurity laws to curtail freedom of expression and of the media. But the Zambian government insists that access to information will promote irresponsible journalism and says cybersecurity laws are needed to promote the responsible use of social media platforms and prevent misinformation. Critical journalists are regularly attacked and censored into conformity or arrested. The government says it is necessary to monitor the press to ensure professionalism by maintaining colonial laws for journalism and security. I'm Kathy Short for VOA News in Lusaka, Zambia. When Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed came to power in 2018, he vowed to reinstate an independent media. But as civil war broke out with Tigrayan rebels in 2020, many journalists reported intimidation, detention and expulsion from the country. Henry Wilkins reports from Weldia in Ethiopia. When Ahmed Abi took office four years ago, Reporters Sans Frontières, a Paris-based group that promotes press freedom, raised Ethiopia's ranking in its International Press Freedom Index by 40 places. It was a giant leap forward after decades of media repression by the state, but since the war between federal government forces and rebels in the Tigray region began in late 2020, Ethiopia has dropped in the rankings again. To mark World Press Freedom Day 2022, VOA spoke candidly to Ethiopian journalists about how free they feel to carry out their work. Elias Messeret, who worked with the Associated Press and now lives outside of Ethiopia, told VOA press freedom in Ethiopia is at a crossroads. Overall, uh, I can say that uh, lack of professionalism and also extreme views uh, have become the hallmarks of the state of the media in Ethiopia at this point in time. For this to, uh, to change, uh, I think the government has a responsibility to let media practitioners do their job freely. Uh, this means without any harassment and uh, intimidation. Asajid Mulageta is a radio presenter for the government-owned broadcaster, the Ethiopian Broadcasting Corporation, EBC. 
He thinks that press freedom has improved overall in recent years and says it's a positive development that for the first time in 20 years there are no journalists in prison. However, the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission released a statement Tuesday expressing concern for journalist Gobeze Sisse, whose whereabouts are unknown since plainclothes officers arrested him on Sunday. Another journalist, Amir Amam Kiaro, was arrested in November and released in March, but he still may face years in prison if convicted of violating the country's wartime state of emergency law and anti-terrorism law. Still, radio presenter Asajid says he sees improvement, noting that under the pre-2018 TPLF government, there was... Lots of uh, stifling systems, there was censorship, there was uh, beating of journalists, there was lots of uh, pressures and censorship against uh, journalists. And uh, uh, now we are seeing the booming of YouTube and online media, and uh, this is a good thing to hear. Sisse Sahalu is an editor at The Reporter, a private newspaper based in Addis Ababa. He says independent media often get stonewalled by the government. Uh, my experience and uh, my friend from uh, public media experience is totally different. As a private newspaper employee, it's tough to get information uh, for me. One simple story, I might call like 10 officials. And- Sisse says even after calling 10 officials, they are often unwilling to give the information he requires about government activities. But when you call them, they don't give us any clue. We write a letter to them, they, don't, they, they are not okay. We call them, they, don't, they are not okay. But finally, when we, when we publish it, they are coming to our office, sometimes via our phone, and start to fight with us. I mean, fight, I mean, a verbal fight. So either they are giving us information or not. A government spokesperson was not immediately available for comment. In the latest World Press Freedom Index, Ethiopia is ranked 114th, down 13 places from its ranking in 2021. Henry Wilkins, VOA News, Weldia, Ethiopia. The head of Egypt's Suez Canal Authority says the canal received record high revenues of more than $620 million during April. And they say that that is partly due to Persian Gulf countries sending more oil and gas to Europe as the Russia-Ukraine conflict reduces exports from those two nations. Edward Yerenian reports for VOA from Cairo. Egypt's Suez Canal Authority reported record revenues of $629 million for April 2022, with 1,929 ships passing through the canal, representing a 6.3% rise in traffic over April of last year. Canal Authority head Usama Rabia told Egyptian TV Tuesday that the Russia-Ukraine conflict weighed on the canal's revenues in April, but that the positive effects were more powerful than the negative. He says that he knew that the Russia-Ukraine conflict would have both positive and negative repercussions on Suez Canal revenues after the conflict started, but that fortunately the positive outweighed the negative and an increase in oil and gas shipments from the Gulf to Europe has outweighed the decrease in traffic from Russia and Ukraine via the canal. Egyptian political sociologists 
sociologist Saeed Sadik tells VOA that the Ukraine conflict had a clear impact on gas supplies passing through the Suez Canal as Europe attempted to wean itself from Russian gas and the Gulf states, particularly Qatar, began pumping more liquefied natural gas via tankers crossing the canal. Sadik also points out that with tensions rising across the world and food, fuel and insurance prices increasing, it was natural Suez Canal tariffs would also rise. The Suez Canal Authority has raised rates year over year since 2021. Paul Sullivan, a Washington-based Middle East analyst, notes that oil and gas traffic from the Gulf will be increasingly important as the conflict continues and Europe needs to diversify its oil and gas resources. As the situation in Europe continues to play out, what I would expect is that more LNG traffic is going through the Suez from even farther locales. Because right now there's a debate in Europe about cutting off the gas entirely and the Russians are constantly threatening to do that. Sullivan adds that both Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates have excess pumping capacity and he thinks it is likely that they will pump more oil as the market gets tighter due to the Russia-Ukraine conflict going forward. Edward Uranian for VOA News, Cairo. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time.